Welcome to Bill Bronchick's Real Estate Investing Podcast. Mr. Bronchick is an attorney, best-selling author, and a real estate investor with 25 years' experience. For more information and free articles and videos, visit his website at www.legalwiz.com. Bill Bronchick here, and we're going to be talking about today buying properties subject to... Uh, this is a very powerful technique that uh, is more advanced for investors, but you know, beginner investors can use it too if they understand the implications of what you're doing, understand the risks, understand how to explain it to people, and understand how to document it in a contract. I th- think this strategy is probably going to make you more money in today's market, which is competitive, than probably any other strategy. Uh, As you know, it's a tight market for fix and flips. Rentals is good, but uh, you're paying top dollar for properties, uh, depending on your market you're in. Uh, Lease options work very well, but this particular strategy you're going to find is going to be really powerful because so few investors know how to do this. They kind of heard of it or they don't know anything about it and they're afraid, but this is really a good one. You're going to enjoy, so pay attention carefully. So what does it mean buying subject to? Well, typically in a closing, you got a seller who has the deed in their name title to the property. There's a lien against it, which is a mortgage. Uh, In some states, we call that document a deed of trust, which is not a deed like the warranty deed, the title to the property. It's, It's a mortgage. It's a lien. So when someone has a property, they have ownership, they sign a promissory note for a loan, and then they pledge their property as collateral under what's called a security instrument a security instrument. There's two types. There's a mortgage and then there's a deed of trust. Most states use one or the other. It's about two-thirds of the states use deeds of trust and about a third still use mortgages. Now, what's the difference? Um, Really none for the purposes of our discussion. The main difference is, is how they are foreclosed. In a mortgage state, you have to go through a lawsuit, a court process. You start with a summons and a complaint and a hearing and all that stuff. And eventually you get a judgment ordering sale. And then you do a a public auction. In a deed of trust state, uh, you're not going through a court process. There there may be some court supervision of it. But for the most part, you, you skip the whole lawsuit, and you go right to advertising a default in the paper, and then you can, you can go um, set up an auction and auction it. So in, in the end, you're in the same place. You're at an auction in a public place for the property. That part of the discussion we're going to leave aside because it, it's not really germane so much to the main part of our discussion. So just understand we've got title, that's the owner, has title, that's the deed in their name, and then the lender has a lien against the property, either a mortgage or deed of trust, okay? If the note is not paid, the lender can commence foreclosure to foreclose the property. Now, the deed of trust or mortgage has a bunch of requirements of you that you sign and agree to, and one of them is obviously the most you know, the biggest one is you promise to pay on the note. And if you don't pay on the note, you're in default, they could foreclose. You promise to maintain the property. If you let it go to hell, then they could theoretically foreclose the property. And there's a bunch of other covenants like paying the taxes and insuring it and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's one in the, in almost every mortgage or deed of trust that's called an acceleration clause. And what it says is, in the event that you transfer ownership of the property, and ownership is very broadly defined, 
So even partial ownership or a long-term lease with an option, um, you know, just about any transfer you do, the lender may, they don't have to, it's not automatic, they may choose to accelerate the loan, meaning saying, okay, you transferred it to your friend, now I'm going to require you to pay it all off now in 30 days. And if you don't, they can foreclose just like if you didn't pay. Um, sometimes that's called a due on sale clause. Okay. So now why am I discussing that? Because when you transfer a property, typically you pay off the mortgage and then the title goes from seller to buyer. The other option is the mortgage stays on the property and then the buyer will call up the lender and ask for permission to assume liability for that loan, meaning put the buyer on the loan, take the seller off the loan. Okay. This is different, what I'm talking about. Buying subject to means you're going to take title to the property subject to the existing mortgage. You're not going to pay it off and you're not going to assume it. it means you're not going to ask permission of the lender. Okay. Now, can the lender, if they find out, accelerate the balance of the loan and make you pay it off or foreclose if you don't? The answer is yes. Now, this seems like a big risk, doesn't it? But the reality is lenders really don't look for it. And when they find it, they don't really do anything about it as long as they're being paid. There's no, what I like to say, do on sale jail. I mean, it's not a crime because it's the bank. It's not a fraud. It's not anything like that. What it is, is if anyone did something wrong, it was the seller. The seller says in his mortgage, you know, if I transfer the property, you have the right to accelerate it. And uh, it's just a breach of the contract, which entitles the lender to do or not do what, you know, what they choose. And in most cases, 99% they don't do anything. So why, why put it in the mortgage? Well, think about 1979 or 81 when interest rates were 14, 16% and your mortgage was five. So you transfer the property to a buyer and you don't pay it off. And the lender says, wait, 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 you can't do that. We're going to make you pay off that 5% loan so we can refinance the buyer at 14. So that's the reason mortgage companies started putting that acceleration clause in the mortgages and deeds of trust. Now, in the last 20 years or so, mortgage rates have been pretty steady. You know, 6%, 5%, 4%, 3%, 4%, 5%, you know, all within a tight little range. So if you're taking over someone's property subject to a 4% mortgage and the market rate for a mortgage is four and a quarter, why would a lender just accelerate a loan that's being paid? I mean, why would they do that? And the answer is they wouldn't. 99% of the cases, they just don't care. Is there a risk of it happening? Yes. Should we disclose that risk to the seller? Yes. Should we take the chance? Well, that depends on your level of risk. But I, I would think with a 99% or more chance that they won't do it, I'd be willing to do that deal because the worst that can happen is the lender says, you can't do that, pay it off. And, and you have a couple of options as the buyer, you could transfer it back to the seller and that fixes the problem and say, thanks, I enjoyed renting it and I made money. You could refinance it with your own loan. You could sell it and pay off the loan. You could call up the lender and ask them for more time. You could say, look, 30 days is unreasonable. I had a, case where I had a client who uh, took a property subject to from a seller. And several years later, the seller called up the buyer, my client and said, Hey, this loan is still out there. It's on my credit report. 
And the seller said, well, when are you paying this off? And the buyer never agreed to pay it off at any time. So he said, never. I'm going to keep it out there forever. Now, that was the wrong answer to the seller. Seller calls up his lender and says, hey, look what this buyer did. He took over my property and he refuses to pay it off. So the lender spit out a template form letter to the buyer saying, we got you. You know, you can't do this. You got 30 days to pay it off. So the buyer, my client, comes to me and says, what do I do? I said, first of all, dummy, you shouldn't have done what you did to the seller because you pissed them off. You should have probably said, if I give you some money, will you shut up and not be a problem? That's the right thing to do. But since he was kind of a wise guy about it, uh, now he's in trouble. So I said, well, what are our options? We could transfer it back. He didn't want to do that. He could sell it because there was equity, or he could refinance it there was equity. So I said, how much time do you need? He says, well, I maybe six months. I said, okay. So I wrote a letter, dear bank, we got your letter. You know, we did transfer it, but 30 days, what you've demanded is unreasonable. We would like six months, please. About a month goes by. We don't hear anything. So my client, I said, you know, go do what you got to do. So he went and put it up for sale, sold it. And within a month or two, six months later, we got a letter back from the bank. You know what it said? No. <laughs> swear, to, swear to God, true story. No, it took them six months just to say no, and the property was already sold. So, you know, the reality of this, I've, I've, I've done probably between myself and clients and closings, I've probably done over a thousand transactions that involve some sort of transfer subject to and that was the only case that I saw where the lender made a stink. And those are pretty good odds. Uh, I'm not saying it's one in a thousand. It might be one in a hundred, but you know, there's more than a 100%, one in a hundred percent chance you could have a, a flood in your house, a busted hot water heater, a leaking roof, um, you know, a tenant who trashes the place, a mess lab, you know, those there's lots of risks in real estate. And I just don't think this is one of the bigger ones considering the risk versus reward. Now let's talk about the reward. So you got a seller, he owns a property, it's worth 300, he owes 270, which is, that means there's not really much equity at all. And if he listed it with an agent, he'd pay, you know, realtor fees and closing costs, pay off his loan and walk away with nothing. Okay. Especially if the seller's motivated. So he really wants out of the house. He had bad tenants. He had a divorce. He moved out. He got transferred. He can't make the payments. Um, or he's already behind in payments and, you know, can't bring it current. That's a situation where the seller, you just say, Mr. Seller, I've got an idea. What do you owe in your, what, what is your house worth? And he says, um, 300. Okay. So what do you owe? 270. Okay. If you listen with a realtor, you'd have to pay the realtor, right? Yeah. And then you'd have to pay closing costs, is that right? Yeah, that's true. So after you paid off your loan, basically you owe pretty much what the equity is, right? You don't have any equity, is that right? He says, right, I just want to get rid of this loan. I can't pay it. So Mr. Seller, how about I just take over your property, just deed it over to me and I'll make your payments for you. And we can close in a week. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. Now, do we disclose all the risks like I just talked about in writing in a contract? Yes, we do. But if you try to over-explain it to a seller up front, you're going to confuse the living you-know-what out of them. So we keep it simple, keep the solution simple. And especially if it's already behind, you're going to have to make up some back payments at closing and cure the loan in default. What is the lender going to say? Well, it was in default and now you made it current and you're continuing to pay it current. No, we're, we don't like that anymore. We're going to call the loan due. It's, it's, not going to it's not a reality. So let's say 
in that situation, you had to make up 5000 in back payments. And maybe you gave the seller you know, $2,000 just, just, just to get them to do the deal. So you're out of pocket seven grand and maybe another grand closing costs, eight grand. So you're out eight grand in closing in total out of pocket. And let's say this loan was at, you know, high threes, maybe 4% loan. And you could rent it in the market for $300 a month cash flow. So that's $3,600 a year. And you got to, you had to pay eight grand out of pocket to get thirty six hundred a year. It's almost fifty percent per year return. Now let's say in five years interest rates go up to twenty one percent, and the lender says, "Wait a minute, you can't do that. We're going to accelerate the loan. You made so much money off that property. What's your risk? You just give it back to the seller. And if the seller doesn't want it, you sell it. If there's equity, you refi it. It's it's not that big of a deal. So if you only got a small amount of money into the property, your risk, your downside risk, your one in a hundred chance of the lender catching it and caring and then doing something about it is really small commensurate to the potential profit. That's the way I look at it. Now, you may not like this risk and you might, so you might take it subject to, like I just talked about, same deal, $300,000 house, they owe two seventy, and you take it over, and in three years, you know, let's say it goes up to three fifty, and the two seventy loan paid down to two sixty. Now you've got ninety thousand in equity. You could sell it, you could refi it with a new loan of your own, which I don't know why you do, but if you feel uncomfortable, just refinance the property. But you got into it with very, very little money, and that's the bottom line. If you wanted to do this for a short-term flip, that'd be great. If you want to buy it subject to and then sell it, let's say, on a lease option where the lease option tenant buys you out within two or three years and you pay off the seller's loan. So it's not a long-term thing, um, but it could be. It could be one of those, if the, if the interest rate and the payment are low, and the rent for the property, and it's in good shape, you could rent it for positive cash flow and only a small amount of money into the property or a small amount of money to the seller. It's a very powerful strategy. Very, very powerful strategy. Now, you want to close this through a title company or attorney. You want to do like a regular closing, do a title search and get title insurance. And you're going to contact the lender and verify that, you know, the loan is what it is. You want to verify... You want to verify the liens on the property to make sure there's no other liens. You want to verify the loan information. Is it a fixed rate, like they said, or is it really an adjustable rate? Uh, is it interest only or is it amortized? Is there a balloon? So you want to verify all the information between contract and closing and then close just like any other property, except you're not paying off or assuming the seller's loan. You're taking it subject to the existing mortgage lien. Okay, so um, buying subject to, I hope it's clear by now, it means you're taking a property ownership, means the seller is going to deed it to you at closing. You're not going to assume or pay off the existing mortgage, which means the lien is still there. What you're taking subject to is the lien. Now, you understand when you take a property at closing, you're taking subject to a lot of things. You're taking it subject to zoning regulations, HOA rules, subject to unpaid taxes, you're just adding one more subject to on the deed, okay? So you just add on the deed at the end of all the subject to where it says in the language, subject to an existing loan to Citibank 
or Bank of America loan number such and such, recorded mortgage at this date, this you know recording number or whatever, how they record the recording information. That's basically a subject too. So where are we going to find sellers like this? Because you might think like, what kind of seller would do this? Because he transfers the property to you and you don't pay, he's SOL. He doesn't own the property, but he's still liable for the loan. And again, we make this very clear in our documentation. We explain it to them in closing. It's still their loan. It's not your loan, which means if you don't pay it as the buyer, it doesn't affect your credit. It affects the seller's credit. But then again, if he was three payments behind, is he really going to be that concerned you don't pay it? I mean, if you don't pay it and it gets foreclosed, that was the same thing he was going to do. Not that I'm suggesting you should let it go. You should do the right thing if you can't pay it, which is give it back to the seller, deed it back to the seller. Um, but in some ways, it's good for the seller's credit. If the seller was facing foreclosure three or four or five payments behind and you made the payments up and cured the loan and then kept paying it on time forward, you're improving the seller's credit because if he walks away, it's a foreclosure. It ruins his credit for years. So you're doing them a big fat favor. The only downside for a seller I mean, besides the fact that as the buyer, you don't make the payments. The only real downside is this loan is still an obligation on his credit report, which means if he goes to get another mortgage in the future on a different property, the lender is going to say, well, what about this, you know, $1,500 a month payment? How is that being handled? And in most cases, if it's been a year or more that you've been making payments on his old loan, the new lender for his new property will just take that off and consider it a contingent liability. Worst case scenario, they treat it like a rent. So if the payment is $1,500 and you're making that $1,500, in essence, you're renting it for $1,500. And when that's the case, lenders discount the rent by 25% for expenses. So his $1,500 a month payment 25% of that is about $375. So his debt to income ratio for his new loan is off by $375. And, you know, that, that in most cases, that shouldn't prevent the seller from getting a new loan. So if this comes up, you explain it. But again, I've explained a lot of things here about the risks and what could happen, what the upside, the downside. Do not meet with a seller and in the first half hour explain all this. Because you're just going to freak them out. They're not going to understand what you're saying. And the confused mind always says no. What you want to do in your first meeting with the seller about something like this is say, listen, we can take over your property. We can make your payments. We'll make up any back payments. And then we'll make payments going forward on your loan. And you transfer ownership to us. It's as simple as that. That's really what you're doing. I mean, in essence, that's all it is. When we get to closing, we're going to have disclosures both in the contract and in the closing documents that say these are the downsides for you and explain them one by one. You know, the lender can call the loan. Probably not going to happen. Big bank across the country. They probably don't care if they're getting paid, but just understand that it is a risk and explain each one of those risks to them. And then they sign. And at closing, they're going to sign a warranty deed from themselves to you or your LLC. And then you or your LLC will be the owner. It will make the payments as just as if it had its own loan. Um, 
But the good thing for you as the buyer is you're not qualifying for it. You don't need credit. You're not assuming it. You're not personally liable. It doesn't show up on your credit report, which is great. And in fact, if you went to go get, let's say, a car loan, would you report this obligation? And the answer is no, it's not your obligation. First of all, if it's in your LLC, it's your LLC's obligation, so it's not a personal obligation. But you could do this on your own house. I mean, you could find a seller who's in foreclosure or behind in payments or just can't make it anymore and give them a little cash and just say, listen, I'll move in and I'll make the payments. I've had plenty of people do those types of things. And it works very well. One of my first houses I bought, I did that way. I just took subject to, and I put down $5,000 to the seller and took subject to that loan. And the seller filed bankruptcy like four years later. Didn't matter. Didn't matter because the seller um, is in bankruptcy, not me, the buyer. So I just kept making payments and everything went fine. And then the seller passed away. I'm still making the payments. You know, it's been many, many years and the lender doesn't care. Probably because the interest rate is about six and a half percent. So they really, really, really don't care because the market rate is much lower. And here's the thing. If it's an adjustable rate loan, there's no way the lender's going to care because if market rates go up, what happens to the rate on the loan? It also goes up. So they've hedged their bet against the market interest rates going up. And so they really don't care about the fact that the interest rates in the market have gone up and the loan is, you know, a lower rate and then they can, they're losing money. So they're not because the interest rate on the loan will adjust to, to match the market. So on those types of loans, you really don't have to worry about it at all. Okay. Um, and just a couple of asides here. Um, there is a federal law that prohibits a lender from accelerating a loan in certain circumstances. So there's certain exceptions where they, they just not allowed to do it. You know, I think this is academic because I think most lenders 99 plus percent of the time just wouldn't care, wouldn't look, but if they looked, they wouldn't care. Uh, and those exceptions uh, include transferring to a spouse, transferring to a child, um, a transfer on death, you know, where you leave it by a will or something like that. Um, a lease of less than three years. Uh, oh, actually, a lease of not more than three years. Let me say it that way. Technically, if you did a five-year lease on your house, they could call a loan due. A lot of people don't know that because that's a transfer. Um, uh, any lease option, any lease with an option will trigger it. Now, they, they never find out about these things because they're not recorded, so it's academic. Um, you're allowed to put it in a trust. So if you're doing estate planning and you transfer it to your living trust, that does not trigger it. You're allowed to do that. So there's a bunch of transfers you're allowed to do where the lender can't. Again, I think these are academic because I don't think lenders really care. <clears throat> now, what happens if interest rates go up? Let's say you took over this 4.5% loan. You're renting it out. You're making cash flow. You love it. Six years from now, interest rates go up to 11. Lender writes you a letter and says, okay, the game is over, pay it up, or we're going to foreclose. Or we can refinance you and adjust your loan to 11%. I would argue that the lender has waived their right to do so. Because it's public record, right? You transfer the deed, they could check anytime, it's public record. You're sending in a check with a different name on it. Do you even have to change the insurance policy because the seller is no longer the owner? You change it to the new owner, your LLC. They get a copy of that and they don't say anything. 
Six years later, they want to enforce it, and you go in front of a judge and say, Judge, they waived their right to do so. What do you think a judge is going to say? Probably they did. Probably they waived it. There's no statutory time period, like two years, three years, four years. There's no actual time. It's what the judge thinks is fair and equitable. And, you know, judges tend to go for the little guy rather than the big bad bank anyway. So I would probably not worry about that, you know, the lender doing it, you know, multiple years later. Um, it's possible. It's possible you could lose. There's a lot of possibilities in life. I just don't think, considering the reward, I think the risk, as small as it is, is worth it. So that's all about subject to purchases. I hope you've enjoyed and learned something from this discussion. For more information and free articles and videos, visit his website at www.legalwiz.com.